Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. Ten years ago, I uh, attempted suicide the second time. And uh, my godmother found me underneath the bed. And one of the misconceptions that people have about people who struggle with suicide and have suicide, uh, suicidal thoughts or suicidal ideation, uh, the clinical term is they think that they're wanting to end their life, but they're just wanting to end the pain. It's, it's acknowledging that uh, they need help. And that's hard. And particularly for men and men of color, because there's this 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 notion that you have to be strong. Let me. Uh, we're going to go right to it. I want to welcome everybody into the uh, Eagles' uh, nest. And I was not aware, and we're going to make all of you aware that uh, September is Suicide Prevention Month. And, and my guest uh, is a former professional football player, Dr. Jay Barnett, who has more than 10 years of experience as an acclaimed youth mentor, author, motivational speaker. Um, first of all, welcome to the Eagle's Nest, uh, Dr. Uh, Bennett. Thank you so much for, for, for coming and and I and I gotta tell you, we've been talking so much politics <laughs> that I, I it didn't dawn on me that September was uh, uh, Suicide Prevention Month. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm just, I'm just gonna start with why, why why is it important that we focus on uh, suicide prevention? I mean, I know that sounds like a simple question, but. Why is it important? Well, thank you for having me this yeah. morning on the uh, show. I think it's important because there is an increasing amount of young black males taking their lives. Really? Yes. Um, that number has gone uh, increasingly up to close to about 70% over the past two decades. But uh, recently, uh, the third leading cause of death has moved to the second leading cause of death amongst black males ages 14 through 24. And no one is speaking about it. And myself as a black male therapist, um, I take great pride in not only being a, 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 a man of color, a black man in the mental health space, but also being someone who has the lived experience and has overcome it. And I think one of the misconceptions is that black people don't take their lives. But right now there is an alarming uh, epidemic that has happened within the black community. Well, start though, Doctor Ben, with your experience. Start with, I mean, you you said you've lived it. Yes. And, and tell us, I mean, let's start with your oh, with yeah. your so, story, please. Uh, I'm a former uh, pro athlete, and um, I was an undrafted free agent in the NFL about 16 years ago, and that was my childhood dream. But also, football was a place where I found belonging. And I had a sense of identity, a sense of purpose. And for most black males, sports is everything to us because mm -hmm. for many of us, we find our fathers. We're a different generation, find, but it was my way out. And exactly. It's a I, safe haven. Oh, man. And, you know, and, and uh, so I, I feel you. Yeah. Okay. I know, and, and, yeah. and no one speaks to black boys needing belonging. 
I mean, when you look at uh, young men who are drawn uh, to gangs, who are drawn to criminal activity, mm-hmm. a lot of times those um, behaviors and those invitation in those spaces is because it provides a sense of belonging. Uh, I, we don't think about boys in that aspect, and, tip, uh, and particularly young black males needing a place to feel seen. And for myself, I felt seen mm-hmm. in the space of football. My coaches validated me, mm-hmm. right? They validated my physical. Uh, Everybody in the school validated, validated you. You know, college, go ahead. Exactly. Yeah, and absolutely. So, uh, you belonged to, to a, 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 an entity exactly. that was, by the way, respected. Exactly. Go ahead. Exactly. And then, but the on the other side of that, Joe, um, it was also a place for us to be aggressive and to release any anger and to release any venom that we were holding from our experiences. And for myself, the childhood trauma uh-huh. was a place that uh, football was a place that I can be violent. And there was no repercussions. You know, I can take somebody's head off and nothing was going to be done about I'm, it. I'm, I mean, I, let me tell you, I'm sitting here, Dr. Barnett, and laughing. Uh, and let me go way back, diff, different generation. Uh, and I get recruited, Wisconsin State. And uh, so I'm trying out for this middle linebacker position, right? And and in those days, you got to remember Middle linebacker was like being the quarterback of the defense, right? right okay, absolutely, yeah, still yeah. is. It still oh, is. Is it okay? Oh yeah, it still is. All right, <laughs> and and I, you know, I grew up with a football coach that you know we learned a great deal. But I was trying out for the position. The head coach of the freshman team <laughs> said, uh, he said, uh, we better get, we better make this man this uh, this this man the middle linebacker because he's going to kill somebody. <laughs> and I don't mean, I hate, I'm not bringing, no, no, I, listen, I understand the terminology. Yeah, the so terminology. Because right yeah. he's, he's going to kill somebody. Yeah. Um, but it was warranted in that space. That's right. The more violent you were, the more coaches loved you. Yeah, thank you. I was, I ended up being captain of my team. They loved it. They loved it. They loved it. They loved it. Okay, so, so how does that relate then from, to, to, suicide so for me you know i had uh my parents had divorced when i was 13 and uh my father who was a pastor and and who still is when he divorced my mother he divorced me and i was his only son and for that time in my life i no longer had a blueprint because my mother moved us from mississippi and moved us to texas and the divorce for me broke me because as a son I didn't have a father as a son I no longer had the man that I looked up to and so I fell into a deep depression and the one thing about black people is we will demonize mental health issues Mm -hmm. we will call it the Monday morning blues I grew up in Mississippi that's what they would call it we will call it everything Mm -hmm. else than what it is. Or you're crazy. Or you're crazy. I mean, that and used so, to be what we said during my generation. Exactly. You're crazy. And so, yeah. we, you know, for myself, I didn't have the language. And I didn't know that I was in a depression. I just knew that I didn't want to talk to anybody. But then there was this burden that was placed on me as a young black boy to be the father of the house, to look after my sisters and to look after my mother. And you think about 
the majority of young black males that have grown up without a father as is looked up to be the man of the house. But how does that happen when you are still longing to be a little boy? So at that time, I was robbed of my adolescence and I am pushed to be this surrogate father and this surrogate husband. And while everyone is uh, joining the forces and caring for my mom and sisters, but no one ever thought to ask about for you, for me. And you think about this, Joe, how many black men, how many black boys actually have someone to ask them, not how they're doing, but how they are feeling. So let me, let me ask this of you, Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Barnett. Uh, It's Barnett. I'm sorry, Dr. Barnett. And we're speaking with Dr. J. Barnett, who is uh, who is with us to talk about an issue. And someone asked me if, and by the way, if I'm willing, if if you're willing to take calls, absolutely. Okay, yeah. so those of you who are on the line related to the last hour, uh, we'll, we'll we'll have you call back uh, next 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 week. But right now, we we are going to deal with this issue. Um. Let me ask you about why are we seeing an increase now as opposed to, let's say, 20 years ago? Was it that you that we are just not diagnosing it? Uh, is it the uh, and I tell you one of the things that concern me is the lack of medical uh, uh, training. Absolutely. I mean, we don't have I, I must admit to you. I, growing up, I never met a black psychiatrist. Never. Didn't I? Never knew one. Wow. Never knew one. Wow. Now that again, that's my generation. But that's also one of the reasons why we are seeing these issues because when you look at um, the methods and you look at at the concepts, even from the clinical lens as a therapist. I was the only black that graduated in my cohort as a black male therapist, but there's no research on blacks and mental health concepts and methods are very Eurocentric. Uh, therapy was worth were for, uh, for rich white men. It's how they kept mm-hmm. their wealth or children or, children. The, or their children. But and go so ahead, we were know. not privy right. to that right. uh, opportunity because you had to have money to receive therapy. Um, because uh, therapy, uh, in fact, is a luxury. Um, because who has a hundred to two hundred fifty dollars to pay for a session in the black community? So what you do is you learn to cope, and how we cope as blacks in our community is drugs, substance abuse, sex, and some of us become disassociated. So you don't even know what you're feeling, and so for most of us, and as myself, when football ended. And it I, it didn't end it because I couldn't play. I got released and got cut. And so now I'm left to navigate through life without the helmet. Because with the helmet, I had a sense of identity. Because I, it, I tell parents often, coaches don't develop men. Most of them really? don't. They mm-hmm. develop talent. Oh, I got you. And this okay. is why what Deion Sanders yeah. and Coach yeah. Prime is doing at Colorado is amazing work. Because yeah. he's not only just developing players he's developing young men 
And we need that because when you have young men who only know of himself from his physical capabilities and not who he is as a human being from the function of his emotional, uh, psychological and mental state, you have a very one dimensional man who now finds himself lost as I did. And the first suicide attempt was because I asked myself, well, who am I now? Where, where do I go in life? Because all I knew was football at the time. And where did you turn? Where did you turn? I didn't have anywhere to turn. Well, but when then when did you turn? So for me, that my, my first attempt was at 23 years uh, of age. And um, I just muscled it out. Uh, didn't talk about it. And I met a guy in the gym uh, probably a few years later that said, man, you need to think about. Uh, he, he asked me, have you thought about seeing a therapist? Okay. And my response because of the idea of masculinity within black men and how we interpret our masculinity is that I can't admit that I have an issue. So therapy was not something that I was willing to do. And it wasn't until my second suicide attempt um, at 30, uh, 31 years of age that I realized when I was found under the bed um, after attempting um a drug overdose that I realized my friends, uh, godmother said, you got to get some help because man, I was looking at me. You would have never known that I was struggling with depression Mm -hmm. because the depression was football was gone and I still had daddy issues. I I didn't feel validated. I graduated college. I had done all the things that they said I, that I needed to do, uh, to be a productive citizen. But emotionally I was not well. And I think what we have today, Joe, is we have a lot of young black men, and I'm speaking to black men specifically uh, because of your your audience, is we have a lot of black men who are suffering in silence, Mm, mm -hmm. who don't feel that they have the space to say that they're not okay because the world looks at us as if you don't have the space, let alone, you don't even have the support to say that you're okay. Where are you now, uh, Dr. Barnett? Where am I now? Where are you now? Where I am now, I am now uh, a marriage and family therapist uh, for the past five years, uh, a doctorate in healthcare uh, here in D.C., doing some work uh, with Reverend Dr. Q. English, uh, who is uh, doing amazing work for the health and human services, working with Samson's, uh, Samson's Substance Abuse Mental Health Service Agency. But this Agency. is the reason, I, I don't mean professionally where you are. What I mean is mentally, where mentally. are you now? I'm in a great space, man. That's I, what I'm really yes, saying. Where yeah, are I'm, you I'm now? I'm in a great space. And so how did you get there? It took years of therapy. It took years of therapy, uh, but it also took years of deconstructing the idea of who I thought I needed to be. And we don't have enough time to think to talk about that because what happens is that if you don't find resolve and who you think you're supposed to be, you can't become who you are supposed to become. And so what happened is, is that I was holding to you're a football player. Uh-huh. You come from a family of football players. Okay. That's, that's, that's who you are. Right. But therapy allowed me to realize football is what I did. It wasn't who, who I you was. Were. It was not who and you so were. Gotcha. As a black man, as a black boy, you have to identify with who you are outside of what you do. Because if what you do is all that who uh, is is all that you are, you will spend all of your life performing. 
That's why we see black men dying of heart disease, high blood pressure. They're not living it long because we don't process our emotions. We bottle everything up because somewhere along the line, someone told that little black boy, you can't cry. Matter of fact, you better man up. And so you learn to live with your emotions inside rather than expressing them. Matter of fact, I'm going to go a step further, articulating them. Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing to express how you feel, but it's another thing to articulate that. And that's what therapy gave me the opportunity to identify what was I feeling. Now, you created, uh, if, if I'm reading correctly, a personal and social development program called King, K-I-N-G. Uh, what what do I mean? What what do the acronyms stand so for? The, and, the, and what what is King? So uh, I wrote a book a few years ago titled "Hello King, Claim Your Throne," um, and that book was uh, the foreword was written by my uh, mentor Alfred Edmund um, Jr. of um, senior VP writer of Black Enterprise, and it was about my story, and, and it was about my story of suffering physical abuse um, at the hands of my stepfather. Uh, It was also me sharing how I navigated this spaces of brokenness and claiming my throne wasn't this throne to sit on, but it was also reclaiming my identity. And when I wrote this book, so many men uh, could relate Mm -hmm. to my story. And I developed this program because I began working with young black males in HBCUs uh, and especially uh, or particularly for those who were first generational college students. And the King acronym was Knowledge is Necessary Game. And I created an acronym because I wanted to connect with our young black boys. See, I grew up in the South with black men that didn't talk. I grew up with a f- grandfather who who were a great example of business, but he was not the great example at leading emotionally and expressing. And so I watched my father repeat the same cycle. And for me, I didn't want to live that way because I didn't want to get to the end of my journey and having lived with all of this repressed trauma, emotion, unresolved issues, because what you don't transcend, you transmit. So I watched a generation transmit their issues Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. through their bloodline. Through their behavior, because behavior will continue if you don't disrupt the patterns that causes the behavior. So I didn't want to be a man that sat in the house that was 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 home physically, but not there emotionally. I didn't want to be a man that showed up to a game, but was not connected to uh, the, the, the space or, or in the moment. And so I grew up with a lot of uncles who physically they mm. were men. But I challenged their masculinity because you could not tap into your emotional mm. space because you, you have to be able to do both as a man. Because real masculinity is understanding the duality of I am a lion and a lamb. I can tear up things, but then I can put things back together. And that's my mission today with the work that I do is challenging black men to be vulnerable with themselves first. You're not necessarily talking about being vulnerable with the world, but you got to be honest with yourself that what is it that I need to address within me that's withholding me from living a life of quality 
a life free from the the constructs of the hurt and pain. What what also it seems to to me what particularly young black men have to deal with is their sense of am I a success or am I a failure? Uh, and you you basically talked about you had. Very high successes. I mean, a pro ball player. So you had you were you had a high success. But then, are you saying to me when you got cut, um, you felt like a failure? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Because I I I I had to accept the reality that what I had in mind was not my reality. Okay. All right. All right. You know. So so then. So, so when, how did you snap out of, and see, I'm trying to get to, how did, what caused you to snap out of that? You mentioned therapy. Yeah, I I don't think you snap out of it. I think you have to address it. And I think that you have to identify what are you looking at. Um, And for me, it was the first time uh, I was in therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, What was the most difficult thing for you? Opening up. And, and 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 it was a white uh, clinician, and the, for the first time that someone had asked me in my thirty years of living, how did I feel? Now, does the clinician part of it? Does it make a difference if Absolutely. it's a white or black clinician? Well, at this time, which was uh, ten, eleven years ago, it didn't make a difference if they were white or black. I was trying to get some help, and for for me. Uh, I do think it makes a difference because you want to have a clinician that is cultural sensitive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And cultural competent enough to understand what you need and understand that we're not a monolithic. And so the black experience is different for everyone. But for me, it was getting to the root of the pain because I had so much pain. And a lot of my pain was my father wounds that I watched my father be a great pastor. But he was not the best father. And Mm. that bothered me as a young boy. And it grew with me as a man. What did your father think? He didn't think anything at that time. Because he was only doing what my grandfather did. My grandfather was very uh, dismissive of emotions and feeling. He was very evasive. He was very deflective. Uh, He avoided deep conversation. But you think about this, Joe, uh, growing up in the South, most of those black men didn't have time to feel. Mm. They was trying to take care of their families. So they didn't even know what emotions were. They were just trying to survive. Yeah. yeah. So I understand the now I understand that what my grandfather was Was going going through through. and how it was projected on my father and how that manifested into my own issues. And I think we don't take the time to look at the intergenerational traumas and issues that we have as a people. So we'll say, well, that boy is crazy. Well, where did that come from? And so now we are looking at a generation of young people that don't know who they are because they were raised by parents who did not resolve the trauma or the issues that they experienced at the hand of their parents. So it's three generations back that we're trying to address trauma and therapy and mental health is still new to black folks, even though it's talked about now. Oh, yeah. It's still new. It, it is relatively new. 
my guest is um, is uh, is a former football player, quite honestly, turned marriage and family therapist, Dr. J. Barnett. Uh, Ten years of experience as an acclaimed youth mentor, author, motivational speaker, and we'll talk about the books, and we'll get all this on our social um, media. Um, he's not he not only talks to talk but you've had to walk to walk <laughs> yeah and and he and he is you know quite honestly it's interesting that to have you open up the way way you way you have on this show and then the response we're getting uh but let me go back to something that people are probably waiting to hear Wh- what is the story uh about a five is is was it a five year old yeah. What's uh, that story about that attempted so to what, I, I, commit suicide? Well, from 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 what I was reading, that the uh, young girl was experiencing bullying. She was being bullied in school. Um, okay. I, I don't know what was actually um, okay. All the, the, the going on in, in 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 all her her other life. Yeah, but yeah. it was school. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but to just to think that a five year old could conceptualize wow. the thought of taking their life, oh, man, it's just beyond me. But when you look at uh, social media, uh, when you look at the media, when you look at all of the social pressures that these young people have to be uh, to be perfect uh, um, and unfortunate, this generation, I feel, needs more skills, understanding how to manage what they feel. Where do they get the skills from? And that's the challenge. You know, and that's why I've been here in D.C. working with uh, Dr. Q English um, at Health and Human Human Services and Dr. Merriman over at SAMHSA is how do we change the messaging to expand this conversation mm-hmm. uh, and to prevent things such as this uh, and creating space for these young people to not hide in silence because we live in such a world that frown upon you if you say right. you're depressed or if yeah. you say you're not well i mean think about this joe it mean the guests that you've had on your show and i know this from being on major platform and major stages that it's behind the backstages that you have the conversation and yeah. somebody say i'm not well yeah. but i'm putting on this face how much of it is is mental and then how much of it is how do I say this? Is physical, um, and and you know, and 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 I talk about you know my even my own family and and all. That. You, you know, it's 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 rough, even though I've tried to um, uh, guard against it. It's rough being the child of of someone who's well known. Yeah. It's it is really rough, um, and uh, you know, I think about. Uh, uh, you know, people who have tried to adjust. Well, I can't, I want to be like him, or you're not like your father. You're not like your mother, and I mean, how much does that play? It plays, it, and it, then, and then, physical. What I'm saying is, a lot of people are turning now to medication because, in order to address any issue, you have to feel it, and medication allows you to numb the pain. A medication allows you to not feel. That's why substance abuse right now and the opioid abuse, it's where it's at. But is medication 
Uh, are you saying it's a good thing or it's no, not no, a good no, thing? It's not a good thing. I mean, these people are medicating because I want to be numb. I don't want to be present in what I feel. I don't want to deal with the emotions of the abuse, the emotions of the divorce, the emotion that I didn't get the job. Nobody wants to feel. And you can't heal any wound, any trauma, any issue until you feel it. And I'm not saying feel it as if you take it on and you say this happened to me. I'm talking about it looking at a way that could this be the pathway to you discovering a better version of yourself. Got you. That's the key. That's the key. How do you find a better version of yourself? With Now, here's the point. Without having to be validated. Am I making sense? Well, part of addressing the issue when you're in the right space with the right therapist is the validation come from when you are heard. Right. Because I don't, I can't heal until I feel heard. And most of us in the black community have not been heard from the community. Yeah. We have yeah. not been heard by our family members. So, so, so when people, when, when, when people, when, when, look, don't demonize somebody because they, when, when they go to a therapist, support it. Exactly. And don't weaponize what I share with you. Because if I share that I'm not well because, I just went through a divorce. Don't use that because this is why men don't open up for those that are listening. Men, we don't open up because we fear being emotionally blackmailed or the information that we share being weaponized against us. And this is you see this a lot. You know, I, during the pandemic, I was providing therapy for a lot of couples. Well, see, I was going to you, you're ahead of me and I'm going to get to the calls. But you are you're ahead of me because I was going to say, how much did the pandemic play? Oh, it brought a lot out. Oh, brought a lot. out. I mean, I had a son who ended up in, living in St. Louis and he went to St. Louis, never been there. Uh, Lord have mercy. Where I went to college, <laughs> Washington, you. And the pandemic hit and he moved to what he thought was a hip, you know, young neighborhood. And the pandemic hit. He could not go anywhere. It was like being. And we were worried because he didn't and he didn't know anybody in St. Louis. So what do you do? And now that's again, that's a and here's a young black man. And I'm going you know, and he's you know he's really close to his mother, and you know, and they're talking, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I I I I hate to say it this way, but I would go crazy. I mean, it was like I can't go anywhere, can't talk to anybody. How yeah. much did that COVID pandemic, pandemic? And then I'll get to the phones. The, the pandemic exposed a lot of us um, in ways that I don't think that we were prepared for. Right. Uh, two things. It showed how much we were hiding as individuals. Um, it showed how much we repress and we avoid because when you cannot run from your issues and you have to face your issues, you're dealing with a different beast. Uh, secondly, it also displayed how much we do need healthy relationships and right. we need social circles. Right. Because you think about being in solitary confinement for 24 hours. Oh. It will shrink your brain, literally. Study shows that your brain shrinks. Think about these inmates when they're put into solitary confinement 
and you cannot mm-hmm. socialize. You right. cannot communicate, engage. It shrinks, shrinks your brain. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's do this. Um, go ahead, uh, Sam. Uh, you, Deborah from Georgia, and I'm gonna I'm gonna grab as many of these calls as I can. Um, and once again, uh, you, you you'll be able to uh, go back and hear this show. It'll be on on our our, our podcast. But but Deborah, go ahead. You're you're on with Dr. Hi. J. Barnett. Hi. Um, I'm really concerned. I have a 13 year old. She'll be 14. Uh, granddaughter. Uh, she'll be 14 next month. And she has uh, been hospitalized for suicidal isolation, and um, she is uh, she has conversion disorder, and she um, now has decided that she doesn't want to eat, so she has an eating disorder. So her, to me, her way of doing the suicide is by not eating. She knows her organs will shut down. She was in therapy. She was in somewhere. Uh, she was actually inpatient and stopped eating. And we're working with her on that. But you said something that was interesting. You said that the person isn't interested in committing suicide. They're interested in um, getting away from the pain. Is this something I should be talking to her about? She She's in therapy, but we talk a lot. Is, is that something that I, as her um, nana, can talk to her about and, you know, talk to me about what is your pain. I don't think a lot of times because she's a teenager, people keep saying, Oh, she's just acting like a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's hard for me to really, uh, to stand with that statement. as uh, someone is just acting as a teenager, but I don't think that generations before us, understand the pressure that this Gen Z generation have. And what happens Mm -hmm. is typically what we don't understand, we reject and we sort of, uh, sort of, you know, shy away from it. But I would challenge you to lean into uh, inquiring what are the triggers because no one is just having these thoughts, right? I think sometimes uh, you can be in the house with the husband, you can be in a house with the wife, with your children, and they make a decision um, to uh, to take their life and you not have any idea what they were suffering with in silence. And I think for most okay. teens, people are looking at the uh, behavior rather than inquiring what is the root issue, what is driving that thought for her. So I would inquire in asking her what happened that is taking okay. you to this place? What about the relationship? She's in therapy. So should the grandmother be talking and are working with the therapist? Absolutely. Okay. And that's and I'm glad that you mentioned that, Joe, because sometimes we will take kids. And I saw this a lot when I was in private practice. The parent would bring the child there and drop them off. And as if the child is a problem and you fix them. And I would often say to the parent, you all have to be involved in Everybody's this process got to be involved. Okay. because I cannot give this child um, the tools and send them back into the environment without the parent and those in the environment understanding mm-hmm. what is going to be required from everyone. 
Because if you send a child back into that environment and the parents don't understand what that p- treatment process look like, you can become a trigger to that child and not know Not it. know it, okay. And so this is why it's important for everyone to be involved right. in the clinical process. Dr. J. Barnett is with me. Uh, is it Celeste? Celeste is from Illinois. Go ahead, Celeste. So I was just calling because you touched on um, several things that I've dealt with within myself and my children. And you said one thing that really um, spoke truth to me is whatever I was going through, it transcends to my children. And I spent a lot of time um, trying to deal with what I was dealing with. And I had to realize whatever I was going through, my children was impacted by that. So when I was depressed and maybe they didn't eat or I wasn't taking care, or I was absent in the home that impacted them. I have um, a daughter. I have three sons and a daughter. And when I was going through my outpatient counseling, one day I went out the door and I looked back at my daughter and I said, wow, I'm going through something. Maybe I need to ask her, do she want to go to help too? And when I took her to get um, evaluated, she had to go to inpatient counseling. Mm. They came out the room within five minutes and said, we have to keep your daughter. So I truly believe that the things that maybe we go through as parents impact our children. And it's very important to check on our children, especially if we deal with our own mental health. Yeah, that is awesome. And Um, and kudos to you, Mom, for uh, responding to what you felt in that moment to ask her. Yeah. Uh, Yolanda from Georgia says she is a suicide survivor. Go ahead, Yolanda. You're on with Dr. J. Burnett. Hi, Joe. Hi. Hi, Yolanda. Hi, thank you, Dr. for addressing this issue. Yeah, my um, college sweetheart and first husband completed suicide in January of 2000. And um, what resonated with me, of course, from this conversation is Dr. Barnett talking about being an athlete. My husband was a college football star, had been heavily recruited by the NFL when we were in college. And then he suffered an injury during um, the um, recruitment season, and that sort of ended his career. Um, He finished college and was successful, had a great job as an administrator in a college but the part that dr barnett said about the football being gone and the daddy issue still being there just resonated with me so much because that was exactly his story um he had also been the first in his family to graduate from college or to complete college and then also seemed like all of his family's hopes and dreams were placed in him because of his football athletic prowess and so effectively, he became like a patriarch of their family. And so he felt he, uh, he failed he the family. Yeah, absolutely. And so he died very early. He was only 29 Whoa. when he committed wow. suicide. Wow. Um, we were both young. But, you know, I just wanted to say one thing, that there's not a prototype of who's susceptible. I do want to confirm black people do commit suicide because I've lived it and experienced it. Um, we are a family of educated people. All of us have terminal degrees. My mother is a psychologist, and so is my sister. And yet there was nothing about him that made us think he would be the person that would mm. commit suicide. So I want to say to the listeners that the impact, this is now 23 years later, the impact is still very deep. Um, and um, 
you know, I had to raise our daughter without him. It's still impacting her. She just got married this year, but it, it goes, it's very far reaching. So I just wanted to thank you for elucidating this conversation. It's an important one and one should we, we should be having early and often. Absolutely. Uh, and I got to thank uh, Dr. Jade Barnett from, uh, for, for, uh, um, you know, making his time to come here in studio. And I, I told him, and, and you know, I'm going to tell you something. If I've got to take uh, even more time beyond this hour, uh, given the, the the phone calls we're getting, y'all, if you can bear with me, uh, we'll, maybe we'll go a little longer. Oh, well, we can record it, yeah. But anyway, that that's a, that, that's programming. Um <clears throat> Thank you, Yolanda. Um, um, let's see. Um, David, first time caller uh, from uh, from uh, Minnesota. Go ahead, David. Oh, thank you for thank you for taking my call. This is a very serious and important topic. Um, just a couple of points, and thank you for having that. Their uh, esteemed. Uh, expert on Dr. J. Burnett. I learned so yeah. much just from mm-hmm. Yes. Um, first of all, my understanding is one of the top internet searchers searches after midnight is uh, around suicide uh, ideation as far as how to off oneself. And um, <clears throat> so that indicates there's a lot of people in our America that are suffering. Yes, sir. Uh, number two, uh, personally, I, I had the same thing. It was a situational thing for me where I was under extreme stress from uh, in an IT career. But, uh, and, and there's my aunt and my sister, they did an interview and they noticed that I had, you know, lost weight and stuff. And I just, you know, when you're really, well, mentally ill is a bad term, but when you're, you're not thinking straight. I mean, I knew there was resources, but I just never did it. I needed somebody else to kind of help me along. So who helped and you? I think it's who helped you? So it was my sister okay. and my aunt. Okay. Um, I went out to San Francisco on a visit. She said, hey, there's something wrong with David. And my sister, she had also suffered from depression. Yeah. And um, uh, and she got me to her doctor. Oh, um, so And that helped save me. I was, you know, when I had spare time at work, I was surfing the Internet to figure out, you know, how to do it without so so you know, so David being a mess. Yeah. Where 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 are you now? As not not in yeah, terms so, of your not listen not in terms of your professional profession but your career mm-hmm. mentally where are you now? Oh, I am very happy now. Very very happy. Um, part of it was like I said a situational uh, depression. And and when I got myself, when I was able to be clear-headed, then I was able to uh, mm-hmm. get myself out of that situation. Okay. And then I no longer needed the, okay. the medication. And, and I'm going to tell you, um, one of the problems I'm going to run into real quick is we're going to run out of time. Yeah. And and I so I, I, I'm, I'm feeling very sensitive about Russian people who are calling in and sharing information. Thank you, Joe. Which, which by the way, uh, it, it says something about this audience, and it says something about this topic. I'm just absolutely relieved that I don't have to talk about Donald Trump. I don't have to talk about this is real in our community, yes, and which transcends politics. Politics, and yes. it transcends politics. So, David, uh, not rushing you, but 
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this leads me to an and because he's a professional, this leads me to another question that uh, that comes up a lot, uh, and and that is especially young people who are entering the workplace. Yeah. Man, uh, they're out of they're entering the workplace, the workforce. Uh, you know, how does this impact? And what should companies do, and should they be concerned about about this? Absolutely, Joe. I, and I and I love that you are are hitting on that because I think companies should really focus, especially when you're bringing in new hires. Yeah. Uh, yeah. After uh, leaving the collegiate space, and having someone, even if it's not therapy, but providing them with a, uh, a coach. Uh, that works within the space of the company. One of my favorite shows is Billions, and uh, it's because they had an in-house therapist in on, on the show. Um, they were, um, I think, a hedge fund company. But I think that it's so critical because they need the guidance on how to navigate the corporate entity, but how to navigate the, the entity in the workspace and in the workforce and understanding that coming out of college, you're not going to know coming out of college you're not going to make six figures and that's okay but having the language and the space to understand that it's not that you don't know what you're doing it's understanding that you're in a new arena and in this new arena you have to learn the inroads you have to learn uh the terminology you have to learn the space and i think there's so much pressure on these young people to be Today. So, what should companies? I mean, I'm not. What should companies do? What? What? If you had the the, the perfect scenario, what would you recommend? What I would recommend corporations to do is to create programs, and these programs allow these individuals to come in that are uh, new hires or these individuals that are right out of college to come in and to go through a process of understanding the process of this new space that they're in, understanding time and management, understanding the process of promotion, understanding mm-hmm. right. that, you know, you, you, you know, there, there's a process to growing. Uh, you don't come in and you, because, you know, because they, they grew up in an era and it's not their fault. They grew up in an era where they watch their peers make tens and millions of dollars on YouTube. Yeah. So my mindset is that I should be doing that too. Yeah. But that's just not how it works right. in the corporate world. So I think that there should be continuing education courses uh, in that entity, whether it's finance, whether it's health administration, whether it's sports management, whether it's science, engineering. I think all corporations should understand that these young people don't understand work-life balance. So you have to create spaces for them to develop that. Skip the music. <sighs> We only have a couple of minutes. So give us, once again, September Suicide Prevention Month. If people need to get in touch with you, if people need want to follow up on this conversation, Absolutely. please take the last couple of minutes to share with people the information, and we'll make sure it gets on our social media. Yes, so two resources that I want to speak about, matter of fact, three, 
Uh, one is the Health and Human Services, uh, which is located here in D.C. Uh, yesterday, they had a conference centered around the mental health and the state of men's mental health, the state of mental health with clergymen, with all of these other dignitaries on how that they can magnify this conversation to expand resources and also to provide uh, the uh, tools that individuals need that may be struggling with suicide. The other resources is SAMHSA. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Association and the American Psychiatric Association, which I am the Grand Marshal for. And uh, also the number 988. And this is Suicide Prevention Month. If you know someone who uh, may be struggling with suicidal thoughts, suicide ideation, this is a number that they can contact. And you can follow me. It's like me. calling 911. It's like calling 911. But it's 988. 988. And so uh, that line is very impactful, okay. changing a lot of lives for those that are calling in. And you can follow me on social media at King J Barnett, King J A Y B A R N E T T, and it is the same on my Twitter and all of my social media handles. Right. We could go another <laughs> lifetime, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I appreciate this. Joe. No, I appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you Dr. for having me, J Barnett. Thank you so much. Thank you. You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.